Maybe have a meeting. Yeah? That wasn't the response I was looking for. You guys ready to have a meeting? Yeah. yeah there we go. All right, before we kick the shindig off, we're going to have Ryan come up and tell us a really corny joke. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm out. Oh. By corny, he meant awesome. Um, all right, did you, guys hear about this? did you guys hear about the snake that walked into a bar? No. He said, I'll have a whiskey. And the bartender said, I'm sorry, man, I can't serve you. The snake was like, why not? And the bartender said, well, you can't hold your liquor. That was a real thinker, Ryan. <laughs> Thank you. All right, welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speakers Step Series. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Danny. Danny. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise or that might slash will distract others or the speaker or anyone. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? All right, let's start our meditation.
guys wouldn't mind joining me in the fog light prayer, if you don't know it, it's on this gigantic banner right up there. Uh, or you can just repeat after me. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. Amen. All right, there is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I have asked Wayne to come up and read uh, Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. Um, We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. So Wayne, if you want to come on up. Uh, Cool thing. Uh, This gets gets, uh, podcasted and... uh, Wayne is actually with his family right now from Australia. He heard our podcast, and he was on vacation, and uh, he is here. So that's kind of amazing. So, thank you. Oh. Right here. So it's front and back. All right. Hi. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I've come from uh, Sydney in Australia, from the northern beaches. Um, we have a lot of meetings there, and uh, funnily enough, they listen to the podcast from here. So we're on holidays in Florida and we thought we'd pop in and say hello. Uh, spiritual ex- oh, I'm Wayne, I'm an alcoholic. Spiritual experience, I hope you can understand me. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism, has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, Many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety, because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. 
Willingness, honesty and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. All right. Uh, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane slash meeting mode or just turn them off. Um, awesome. So we have uh, Peter wrapping up tonight. Um, I could sit up here and say a lot of nice things and fun stuff, but I really want to hear Peter speak because uh, it's amazing and I get something new every time out of it. Uh, so without further introduction, Peter. My name is Peter, I'm a recovered alcoholic. <clears throat> Grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I think we should give it up for Mike Chase who made this new podium, huh? I sponsor Michael. This is the great work I do. <laughs> I want to thank my friend Wayne and his uh, lovely wife and their child. Uh, for the last time we saw each other was in uh, Georgia. And um, they came all the way to, uh, from Australia tonight just to hear me. They're going home tomorrow morning. Uh, uh, it's been a hell of a 12 weeks, guys. Um, We often talk about attachments and how dangerous they are, and I've said this every time I've done one of these things, when we start to wrap up, I may have mentioned it. By the time you get to the ninth, 10th, 11th week, you start to have a lot of newfound friends who are no longer new, they're friends. And there's a rhythm and there's a culture in the group that you get very accustomed to seeing the same faces. And some of them we won't see, you know, till the next maybe workshop or something. And you've given me lots of latitude over the last 12 weeks to talk freely as I'm moved. And um, I don't think anyone's walked out yet, um, which is kind of nice. And I've gotten lots of uh, text messages and, uh, and phone calls and a lot of social media, uh, really wonderful things, uh, inspiring things from you guys. And so I thank you for that um, because for 12 weeks you have fed me. Um, and I get excited about not so speaking, but what I'm able to speak about. I, I hope to never get attached to a podium. I know some cats out there live for the podium. No sponsor, no sponsees, just where's my next talk. I never want to be one of those guys. But I get excited about what I get to talk about. And that is Alcoholics Anonymous. That is his power called God. That is our big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, and the sacred fellowship called Alcoholics Anonymous. And experientially, I can share things with you about that. Tonight, we're talking about, you know, our, our primary purpose, stay sober and help another alcoholic achieve sobriety, that I can't transmit something I haven't gotten. Sometimes I will what I do, and it's untreated alcoholism. It's pride and ego. So I need to make sure my house is in order. And on my separation from alcohol, June 23rd, 1988, my house was not in order. I was out of integrity in all, all areas. I couldn't discern right from wrong anymore. I was a sick and suffering alcoholic. And as I see them come in, the long I'm around, trying to make decisions on their life, trying to discern what to do, 
and get annoyed when you tell them, don't do that, do this. And I was like that through my first six treatment centers. And in 1988, when God separated me, God willing, for the final time from booze and some other things, although I didn't like the information I was getting, the any lens was given to me, I had no choice but to follow and close my eyes and hold on, you know, and click my heels and get me back to Kansas as quick as possible. Because I even wasn't sure if the information you're giving me was going to work, but I, based on what I've done so far, it has not worked. And you're sitting there sober. And so people freely gave me information. My first home group was the Free Spirit Group in, in Brooklyn. And I was sharing last night uh, at a diner my condition. One particular night, because I would go there drunk, one particular night, really drunk, I remember pieces of it standing against the back wall by the radiator, and some poor alcoholic was sharing his experience, strength, and hope, and it went to a show of hands. I critiqued him, AA, the meeting, everything, and wasn't worried about my language either. And when the meeting was over, I mean, I thought I was pulling it off okay. I kind of seen blurs of people. They said, keep coming back. Here's my phone number. No one threw me out. No one didn't care about my, what I was doing. They just knew I was in front of them. And that their sobriety, part of their sobriety hinged on passing this message on. And maybe I was a live one for someone to sponsor. And they made attempts, and I went out the door. I didn't come back for years. And so when I see the drunk walking in the door, Sam Shoemaker says, stand by the door. My favorite commitment in the whole world is, is uh, standing by the door. The greeters, looking for the new one. Or perhaps someone who's had sobriety and have fallen off the wagon. Or perhaps someone who's sober and has lost their way. I'm looking for those folks because they're easy to teach. So I stand by the door, whether I'm, even if I'm up here, figuratively speaking, I'm standing by the door, my eyes are watching all the time. Who's new? Who do white chippers? And I'm very, I feel very blessed that I haven't gotten into that thing, you know, with a bunch of years sober, well, leave it for Joe, he'll get it, leave it for Mary, she'll get him. That I'm looking, because I know the importance of passing the message on in Alcoholics Anonymous. And for me, people pass the message on, I won't say never, but rarely judge by my condition or my language, my lack of integrity in a meeting. I had none. And they just said, keep coming back. And some of those folks were armed with the facts of Big Book and told me the way you're going to get sober and stay sober and experience a day-to-time permanent sobriety is through the information in this book because the fellowship won't keep you sober. And I was hearing meeting makers make it in treatment. You know, when the H&I folks would come in, bless their hearts. And some really awakened men in Alcoholics Anonymous says that's a lie. Because you have to go home, and you need to go to work, and you need to just go walk around. You need to go to the store, and you're not in a meeting. What are you going to do then? And my spiritual fitness, I keep spiritually fit. I go to any lengths to keep spiritually fit because I don't know what the day is going to look like when I'm going to need all those muscles. When you lose the job, when he or she leaves, health scares, whatever it might be. I'm going to need all those muscles that moment, and maybe I can't run to a meeting. So there's lots of chopping wood and carrying water. People who carried a message to me weren't, and I, you know, we, the message was in here, but there were people who carried hope to me, who brought me integrity, who brought me dignity, he, who brought me like, you're okay. 
with all the wounds, with all the cracks in your armor. When I came home from Minnesota, I have two other brothers, younger. And my kid brother, my youngest one, had a little apartment in Brooklyn. And what he did was take me in because I still had nowhere to go. I, I, had, I was away for about a year. I still didn't have my job back. I was flat broke. Everyone was walking on eggshells. Is this for real? Is he going to go out today, tomorrow? What's going to happen? And my brother took me in. And I slept on my kid brother's couch. And, you know, where I come from, it might be really egotistical, but I'm supposed to take care of my younger brother. He's not supposed to take care of me. And that's just what he was doing. And never once did he remind me of that. And I slept on his couch. And when I got my job back, I saved some money. And my brother was buying groceries and letting me use his phone to call AAs and not asking for a penny. He was just glad his, his older brother was sober. I remember one time, it was a Sunday, and I was going to an evening meeting. And it was a, 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 a cold, rainy, sleety kind of day. And it's kind of dark out. And I'm standing on 69th Street and Bay Parkway waiting for the bus to take me a couple of miles down the road to this night meeting. And my brother was coming home from the gym. And he had his collar up and he had his duffel bag on him and he was just really tired from the gym. And he looks up and I'm standing there. I'm the only one on the corner. And his face dropped as if to say, where are you going in this weather on a Sunday night? You're doing it again. And I said, I'm going to St. Mary's. There's a meeting there tonight. When I come home, let's have some pizza. And he had like the, ru the blood rush back into his face again. And I got home at the time I said, and we ordered some pizza, and my brother and I hung out. I, I got my job back, and I saved some money. And I got this little studio apartment in the same building my brother was living in. And when I walked in, it was a bare apartment, like when you go look at an apartment, there's nothing in there. I had no furniture, I had no phone, I had no TV, I had no coffee maker, nothing. We had no cell phones back then. Newcomers, believe it or not, we had no cell phones. I mean, it was incredible. <laughs> and someone in AA gave me a sleeping bag. See, they didn't say, oh my God, you have nothing? What's wrong with you? They said, I got a sleeping bag. You just moved in, congratulations. I'll give you a sleeping bag. And I love to tell this story because I'm from Brooklyn. I don't know sleeping bags. I almost strangled myself getting in there. But um, I had a big book. I found a Bible somewhere and I had a Bible. And I had bought a bunch of those AA bumper stickers. First things first, live and let live, all those things. I put them on the door. And above the door, I'm a Catholic, I got a crucifix. And I got into that sleeping bag. It was the weirdest thing. I had my big book, I had my Bible, I had my God, I had my bumper stickers. I made a meeting that day. I just got a sponsor. I knew some folks in AA. I was a member of a sacred fellowship called Alcoholics Anonymous, and one of those members brought me a sleeping bag. I slept in paradise that night, flat broke. I saved some money I was, I was, as I was working, and uh, my first sponsor brought me these futons. I don't know if you remember the futons back in the day. And I, I had this little futon. That broke, and I had a foam thing on the floor, and that was my bed. And then someone in AA gave me an old black and white television. Now I had TV. 
And my grandmother gave me this throw rug, and now I had a rug. And I'm saving money because I have to pay the rent. And then one day there was a, a doorbell rang, <clears throat> and it was my dad. And we were lukewarm at best at this point. And I opened up the door, and he had one of these boxes with all the cups and sauces and dishes you buy, you know, the whole set. So my dad came in. He said, I bought you something. He had another box with one of those coffee maker. So I rinsed it out, washed the dishes, and me and my old man had a sober cup of coffee together in this little studio apartment, and there was nothing in it. And I remember my dad, as we're having this cup of coffee, it was kind of like this... um, the kitchen was just a shelf with these little, like, bar stools that you sit on that can't get away from a bar no matter where I go. And, uh, and he's on one side, I'm on the other. And I never forget his look. I, I didn't know it then. But I look back on it. He's looking at me, and if I can read his mind, he would be saying, I can't believe we're actually doing this. That this kid's not out the door drunk or in jail or something. We're ha- having a cup of coffee. And that was the beginning of learning how to live sober. And when I would get paid, I had money from the week before still on me. And then I got a little savings account. When that, color, when that black and white TV uh, broke, I was going to go buy myself a little, little portable TV. And another, a woman, an old-timer in AA, says, Honey, don't do anything. So I got one. And I had a second television. And eventually, I got my own TV. And I never forget the day I went to, I forget where I did it, but I went and by, I know it sounds silly, but when you come from an abandoned, hall, abandoned building, this is huge. I went out and bought a mattress and a box spring. It took up the entire apartment. <laughs> and I remember it, they, they ripped the plastic off and I literally threw myself down on it because I was sleeping on this futon. I was basically like sleeping on the floor. And I, could, I just rolled around in it like a little kid in Toys R Us. I couldn't believe I was... I, I, I had the realization I'm actually doing what the so-called normies out there do. And I slept in a bed that night. And I saved enough money and got a one-bedroom. And today I'm a partner in a company. The whole thing doesn't make sense. And all those little stories, they were not members of alcohol. Well, some of them weren't members of alcohol. It's like family. But they showed up to give me a leg up. And the members in Alcoholics Anonymous, the old-timers knew what it was like to be in the bottom of the barrel. And they were out of the barrel for a long time now. But they knew it was my turn in the barrel, as a friend of mine always says. And I was there, and they were going to help me out without judgment, without prejudice. You're with us now. As they told me in Minnesota, you're with us now, and we look out for each other. I don't see a lot of that so much anymore. Maybe rehab's ruined that because everyone comes out 60-day wonders. They're Moses. I don't know. Buy a vape instead of getting a job. I don't know what that's about. (laughs) And then I look back to where the sponsors. 
See, when I see a newcomer going sideways, let me get on a soapbox here. When I see a newcomer going sideways and making deranged decisions, I want to know who the sponsor is. Now, if they don't have a sponsor, okay, we've got to sit them down and get them one. But I want to know who the sponsor is that allows this type of behavior, allows your 60-day wonder to get engaged, to be in a relationship. Hasn't made amends but spending $200 on a vape when you owe amends, you're still stealing. Where's the sponsor? And this is the responsibility the elders have in Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not about getting to this podium and sounding wonderful for an hour and then going deaf, dumb, and blind when I get in the parking lot. It's about being on the firing line because those newcomers are our future AA. And if I got a heroin addict who never drank, I better make sure he goes to CA or NA once in a while and not hide in here. That's the sponsor's job, not the newcomer's job. They don't know. I didn't know better. I think last week I shared it, my first AA uh, uh, anniversary. I dropped 4,000 F-bombs in five minutes. And it was over, the balloons, the cake, the hellos, the, the pats on the back. My sponsor did one of these to me. That's when you're in trouble, when the sponsor does this. And he called me to the back in the kitchen and went up one side, down the other on me about using that type of language in an AA meeting from a podium. He was a responsible member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I was his new responsibility. And I say this because I see a lot of folks knowing the book, thank God, chop the book up in a million pieces. But what about helping the newcomer grow up spiritually? Because we can fall in love with mechanics as I did and pass on mechanics, which is good, but there's a big hole in that because I need to be passing on God. I need to be passing on integrity. I need to be passing on humility. That's passing it on. And when that newcomer has no money, but they're looking for work, and you know they're, they're pounding the pavement, and they can't make it, it's okay for me to go into my pocket because my 12-step says, knowing when and how to give. And when he or she goes out, maybe I have to counsel the family for a little while and get them off the ledge and send them to Al-Anon. That's sponsorship. And I walk into an AA meeting, and I see the meeting upside down. I want to know who the elders are, not the newcomers. Who are the elders in the place? Who's got the 15 and 20 and 30 years who are allowing this to happen in our sacred rooms called Alcoholics Anonymous? They are sacred. Because for me, I've been reborn and resurrected in here. And there are a lot of men in this room who would agree with me on that, that this is it. This was the last house on the block. Don't come into my house and puke on the floor unless you help me clean it up. This is not a dating scene. It's not a nightclub. I don't care about your tattoos, how many earrings you got. Are you a drunk, you want help, then I can help you. I'm not a matchmaker, not a dating service. This is called Alcoholics Anonymous. And if you want to continue drinking, that's your business. You want to quit, I'll make it mine. This is the way I was brought up in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I know in some of our liberal, touchy-feely AA meetings, I just blew the doors off the place. I don't care. Welcome to the NFL. (laughs) I've made, I've had the honor, and I don't say that because it sounds good. While you're doing it, it does not feel like honor. It feels like cumbersome and inconvenience. It's icky. The 12-step call. 
And not where you just pick up Joe, he's got his luggage ready, and drop him off at some fancy treatment center or detox where they get massages and, you know, all this other stuff. I'm talking about going in and getting Joe or getting Mary or getting Bill or getting Frank, who's blind drunk, smoking crack, shooting dope, Mom called, dad called, the brother called, the sister called, mom, whoever called, the husband, wife called, and you go in there with the few to some flea bag motel, and you got to go in and check the bathroom because you know who's in the bathroom. You got to look for weapons because you know what's going on. If it's one of those cold, you look in the closet because you know who it is. And you scope out the place, and then you got the drunk who's sick, who's soiled on himself, who reeks who wants to go in one minute and doesn't want to go the next minute. And then you got to throw them in the shower. It's uncomfortable having to undress a drunk, another man, and put him in the shower and wash him down because they're filthy. It's, un- it's icky. I don't look forward to those things. But who else is going to do it? God gave us this task, us, this task to take care of his kids. It's easy when a drunk walks in the door, just got out of treatment, and they're glowing, and they're looking good, and they want to go through the book. Easy. They're not puking anymore. But what about the drunk who's puking in the backseat of your new car? <laughs> I had a new Max Max. He's not getting in my car. And this old timer Joe says, yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only transportation. And Louis the Butcher puked all over my back seat. Brand new car. I wanted to kill him. Now I got to clean it up. And Joe says, you'll stay sober, though. Remember, you didn't have a car. That's not what I wanted to hear. And I'm able to do a lot of those type of calls. And the easy ones, where you just pick them up, luggage is ready, you drop them off, and you get them on the rebound. Willing to sponsor them. And for some reason, when we do work like that, those muscles get stronger. Those spiritual muscles get enhanced. We've had our hands in the dirt. It's the real chopping wood and carrying water. And lots of times you tell an old timer what you just did, and they, they just, okay. No applause. No coin. It's what we do. Who else is going to do it? Try calling your therapist at 2 o'clock in the morning go get a drunk. What kind of insurance do you have? We do it for fun and for free, yes? That's what we do. Carrying this message to the alcoholic who still suffers. And sometimes you just got to, as I said, go sit with the family. Because the husband's MIA again and the wife is frantic. What do we do? And so we lead him to another sacred place called Al-Anon. And we counsel as much as we can, understanding we're not counselors. And so instead of striving and always arriving, I'm experiencing some sort of growth in that. There's something that happens when one drunk works with another. And I feel so blessed because so many people try to put their hands on me and help me. I wasn't listening until 1988. And they would take me to the Three Legacies meeting. They would take me to the uh, Fifth Tradition meeting on a Monday night. Some of these cats were sober a really long time, two years, three years, five years. That was mind-boggling to me. But they sat with me. And they knew I was not from Minnesota just as soon as I opened up my mouth. But they sat with me. And there was a meeting in... um, kind of a seedy part of St. Paul 
Some guys took me there. It was a rough part of town. It was one of these long hallway kind of meetings, long, long, long table and people sitting on the side. And he's going around the room, and I'm petrified. I, what, what can I possibly offer up? I just heard some pearls of wisdom. It's come, I'm the last person to share, and I mumble something out. And there were a handful of folks, because you announced your sobriety day that before you share. That's how they did it. You went around the room. You know, five years, 10 years, three years, 15 years, 20 years. I got days. And I mumble something out, and they applauded. And as I'm talking, they're nodding their head up and down. You're with us now. Way to go. This is my sacred Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't have to look good. I don't have to sound good. I just walk in. I want to quit drinking. I want to stick around. Welcome. Because Rule 62 says don't take ourselves too seriously. And sometimes I see you get so stuffy with the info, even the big book. We get so stuffy with the big book, we don't give people a chance to breathe or fall short. It's going to happen. My humanness, I'm broken. I'm going to screw up. You'll show me 18 times how to do a, a, a fourth step, and I'll go home and have no, no clue what to do. I have to call you back. I might miss a column. I might put the, the wrong thing. I might put selfish in the third column instead of the fourth column. It's okay. It's really okay. That's why we have erasers on pencils. It's really okay. This is one big IOP program. <laughs> And as a sponsor, because I sponsor many men, I, I, I never considered myself good at this. But even when it's clicking, I need to remember day one. I need to remember receiving that message and how nervous that drunk is sitting opposite me. How much fear they have right now. There's a time to balk and there's a time to hold. And sometimes sponsorship, I have found, is just holding on to drunk boat, literally and figuratively, and just let them scream through the night and cry through the night, knowing you got them. I'm here for you, literally and figuratively. I'm going to just hold you up tonight. Because that's what was, guys, that's what was done for me. You know, I could talk about this 12-step and quote the book. We got a lot of that. A lot of wonderful men out there, a lot of wonderful women can give you this book and just rip it up, and I can do that for you, which is good. But what did that look like in my life experientially, huh? What was it like literally carrying a message to a drunk? And how many times you, you got that prospect and you're excited to work with them and they go die on you? Or you keep trying and keep trying and keep trying and they keep leaving? And they break your heart over and over and over again. Page 96 tells me what to do with that. And sometimes they just move away and the relationship changes. And what do I do? Go back and chop wood and carry water, wait for another. My first sponsor was a guy named Tony N. from Brooklyn. He was a bulldog. I met him. He had 15 years. He was, as we called in AA, on fire. The guy was hot when I got him. I didn't know it. He intimidated the hell out of me. He was always laughing and joyful. You knew when he walked in the door, it was just a commotion around him, cutting up and having fun. But when it came to this, dead serious. No wiggle room with Tony. None. And he was the one who told me, when you go speak, put on a jacket if you have one. And if you don't, press your shirt. And shave and comb your hair. It's Alcoholics Anonymous. 
And he would take me to meetings to Westchester. And on the way there, he says, by the way, you're speaking. You know, when I used to do that, you're speaking. Yeah. Three, four guys in the car thinking you guys are speaking. Get there. No, you're up. You're speaking. Great, great lessons. And they didn't brag about it. It's just what they did. After about 10 years with, with uh, this gentleman, um, there was a need for a new sponsor. I'll say it that way. There was a gentleman from Texas named Mark H. And I heard his cassette tape, and he really annoyed me. I said, who's this pompous, arrogant SOB? Who does he think he is? I put the tape back in the car again listened to it again. And he annoyed me even more the second time when I listened to it again. And then something happened where I fell in love with this guy. I need to find this man. And he was doing something called Fellowship of the Spirit in Queens with this guy, Joe Hawk. And he was staying with a friend of mine, Tommy. I said, well, you ask Mark if it would be okay if I can spend some time with him. And I went to Tommy's house, and I sat with Mark, and I shared with him. He said, I've been waiting for you. He said, are you ready to have your life turned upside down? Because he was one of those guys who went through the work once a year. This guy was everything to me. He encompassed Alcoholics Anonymous. And because of him, I was introduced to my grand sponsor and my great-grand sponsor, who also had the honor of them working with me as a sponsee. They were my sponsors. And because of Gary Brown, I got to get on the phone with a gentleman named Paul Martin who's gone home. It was Paul Martin, one other man, and Dr. Bob. And Paul Martin told me about how going through the steps began. And I had several phone calls with Paul Martin. He's long gone. But to me, that was, I'm a punk kid from Brooklyn. I'm talking to this guy, Paul Martin. I, I, I get to sit with Gary Brown and Don P. And Mark H. is my sponsor. And I get to lean on Joe H. once in a while. This was indeed miraculous. And they came out of the book. And they loved our fellowship. And they were, they were sponsor monsters. That's what they did. They couldn't care about a podium. They spoke a lot, but this was like third on the list. It was working with another drunk. Over and over and over again, they told me, never get attached to this, this is deep water. And they told me, if you think you got a message to share, you just lost it. If you think you've got spirituality, you don't have it. It's the seeking and the striving and the chopping wood and carrying water for it that's when you have it. And everyone can see it, and you're thinking, when am I going to get it? That's it. Because there's no graduation, there's no arrival. Thank the good Lord for that. Because I don't know where I'd go if there was graduation day and Alcoholics Anonymous. Now what do I do? To someone new, it's going to sound really lame, but I, I don't have a life. It belongs to God. It belongs to Alcoholics Anonymous, and he, he gives me a life. And my life is one of a servant. We just heard in Mass on Sunday, who's ever last shall be first. Who's ever first shall be last. A life of a servant. That's what I do. Very willingly, and sometimes I don't want to. Sometimes I just want to get out. Sometimes I don't want to pick up the phone. I don't want to hear the fifth step today. You know, the Yankees are playing. It's the player. I don't want to hear a fifth step. But come on over. Where else am I going to go? This is the life. And I'm beyond blessed for a life like this. Because it seems of walking with the servant's heart that the, 
the thing where the more you give away, when you give it all and there's nothing left in you, somehow you find so much more in you. But when I stand idle on the sidelines, I begin to die. Little by slowly. And I'll die from a thousand cuts, not one wound. I'll just bleed out. And I'll fade into the background and then you'll hear about me. I still have with my sponsor, who I speak to on Monday evenings, that's the must call. We speak other times, but Monday at 7, that's the must call. I don't take any commitments unless I clear it with them. I just don't. I spoke up in uh, Port Charlotte on Monday, and they booked me about six, six months ago. And for some reason, I heard Sunday. And I realized it was Monday. I got on the phone. I called my sponsor. I said, I screwed up. Should I can't, do you want me to cancel the commitment? That's our call time. He said, no, go give a talk. Go give a talk. But I had to get clearance with him. Now, I'm sober almost 30 years. But I can't, it's not because I'm incapable of making decision. I can't figure life without that kind of accountability. Who am I to start running the show or driving the car? I'm still an alcoholic. And when I think I'm making a really good decision, I'm, Joe might look at me and say, Pete, bad move. Okay. Because you can't see, as my friend Artie says, you can't see your own ears. You can. You can see mine. I can't see them. My book tells me this. Huge promise. As soon as we open up working with others, which, by the way, doesn't talk about here our 12-step, the spiritual awakening. Because back in 10, it says, I've entered the world of the Spirit. It's been given to me. And in 10 and 11, I'm enhancing and growing and understanding the effectiveness. Now that I got this belly full of God, what do I do with it? Give it all away. And they're going to get right into giving it all away. And it's a huge promise. As soon as we open it up, it says, working with others, practical experience. So they're not theorizing. Shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity, powerful word, immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. Two big words, ensure immunity and intensive work. Intensive work is not, here's my phone number, give me a call. I'm being polite. Intensive work is not taking you to a meeting. That's car service. I'm hoping to take you to a place where a message is being shared. Intensive work is, we're going to meet, we're going to talk, I'm going to hear inventory, and we're going to walk through the book. And we all have different ways we walk through the book. Some people are line by line. Some people are assignment. Some people combine the two. But we're giving away the message, not an opinion, not a theory. And the more I do that, it says it ensures immunity from drinking, which means I'm off the hook. Imagine if I'm working intensely with many drunks, a life of service. I have immunity. I'm working with the rest of the spiritual disciplines. I have a prayer life. I have a life of meditation. I have a sponsor who has a sponsor. I'm doing nightly review. I'm making my meetings. I'm living equally in all three sides of our triangle, which is really important because I can't live in one side and be top-heavy in fellowship and have a a boss do with three legs and only have one leg on it. It's not going to make it. I'm living in fellowship. I'm living in service, and I'm living in the steps. I'm living in all three sides. That circle around our triangle is now whole and complete. There's very little or no gaps in it. No beginning, no end, like the soul, whole and complete. 
And when I do these three things, it takes care of that soul sickness, that sense of separation between me and this guy called God that you're talking about and convinced about, and I'm wondering where the heck it is. But when we do this work, not for applause, not for a chip, not for a talk, because my life depends upon me doing this work. It's do this work or else drink and die. It took years for me to get that, to drink is to die. It took years, till 1988, that I start to comprehend for me to drink is to die. So if I do this, I get a day above ground. It says carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. We can help when no one else can. We can secure their confidence when others fail. And I have to remember, like they did with me, I was ill and so was the new person. One of the things I've learned is go beyond what they look like. You know, someone might come in here real glossy. Well, maybe they're rich and they can still afford new clothes. Unlike how I walked in. Let's go beyond that. Let's listen to the soul. Let's really see where they are. And if anything like me, I didn't want you to know I was so afraid. I didn't want you to know I was leaking oil. So I would try to put on this persona I got it together. And they'd inquire, how long you're sober? You know, three months. They know I'm falling apart just by that answer. Right? Now, some of us come in here, get a, get a sponsor, get in the book, and in three months we're sponsoring people. That's great. Two months we're sponsoring people. And we obviously are a lot healthier than someone who's wandering and, and just kind of hanging around AA. But the old time is new. Life will take on new meaning. These are promises. To watch people recover, to see them help others. To watch loneliness vanish. To see a fellowship grow up around me and you. To have a host of friends. (coughs) Other than family, everyone I know is in recovery. Even people I work with. Certainly the people I socialize with. Now, some of those folks I work with go to different meetings. Some of them are in a different fellowship. But we're all in recovery. I don't hang out. It's just the way my walk is. I don't hang out. I don't socialize. And not by choice, it's just what God did for me, with people who aren't in recovery. Go to a wedding, got a mixed bag, but I'm there just for a few hours. My, my network, my, my friends, Marion's friends, we're all in recovery. I'm so grateful for that. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our life. Is it the bright spot of our life? If not, what am I missing? It tells me don't start out as an evangelist or reformer. I did those things. My sponsor would tell me, shh, the guy just got here. You're levitating. He don't believe you. Just sit down. And I got into you're doing it wrong and I'm doing it right. I did. And the sponsor called me back and says, sit down, we need to talk. See, they reel me in. But it's easy to reel in someone, a live horse, than to revive a dead one, huh? Knowing loneliness such as few do, um, I think everyone in this room knows what it's like being in the bottom of a barrel 
you know, the hole, and you're screaming and no one hears, or people look in and keep, you know, walk by. If you were homeless like me, you know exactly what I'm talking about. People don't want to touch you. Well, that works also with us helping others who aren't in AA. And I just share a quick story with you how folks were practicing these principles in all their affairs. My kid brother, the, the one who I moved in with, uh, was having some psych issues a bunch of years ago and bottoming out, chin on the ground, wondering what's this life I don't want to live anymore. And then he'd spike up. We didn't know what the heck was going on. And I just got home from a conference in Texas. I get a phone call. My brother's at my dad's house. He's come quick or I'm going to call 911. Your brother's like falling apart. And I went there. And I counsel my brother as much as I can. And we got him the help he needed and the medication he needed. Thank the good Lord he's okay. But I remember when that was going on, my brother kept telling me, crying, this big kid, this big monster of a kid, crying like a baby, I'm alone. I feel so alone. I'm so lonely. I don't know what to do. Good-looking kid, can meet anyone, but up here, it wasn't happening. And so what I did was I got a handful of the men I sponsored some friends, because we know that feeling, whether we have a psych issue or not. We know that lonely thing. Standing in the middle of a a, a football game with 50,000 people, and you're alone. And I asked these men, I said, do me a favor, would you guys, he knew some of them, I said, would you just call my brother? This is where he's at. We know where he's at. Just offer that olive branch, offer that friendship, offer that AA hand to him. They all did, every one of them, but not one phone call. They called. He had friends, and it helped him, gave him a leg up that he wasn't so alone, out of the hole. My dad called me about a month later, praising Alcoholics Anonymous that your friends have been calling your brother every day. Amazed by this. My dad comes from the street. You don't do things like that. Amazed by what we get to do in Alcoholics Anonymous. And so I take this and try to practice these principles in all my affairs, and I'm going to fall short. I'm flawed. I'm broken. I've said that a million times. Sometimes I want to do what's right, and I miss the mark. Sometimes I'm afraid to do what's right. And how many of us get into people-pleasing out of fear or trying to control an outcome? That's not practicing principles in all my affairs. That's people-pleasing, which means it's self-reliance because I'm attached to what the outcome should look like according to what I think and not what God has. So I people-please and I suck up and I speak untruths rather than when I want to speak the truth because I'm afraid of what's going to happen. I never stand my ground. I don't take a stand for my belief systems whether they're right or wrong. Got to stand for something or fall for anything they used to tell me. And I've learned to do that in business. I learned to do that with the men I sponsor. I've learned to do that, which was a huge task for me to practice that principle in all my affair and speak freely, respectfully, hopefully with a thread of humility. But this is how I feel about this. I don't believe in that. I like to do this. I see it this way. There's nothing wrong with that. But my people pleasing because of fear would not allow me to have me trapped. Am I really practicing these spiritual principles in all my affairs when I have a whole chunk of self-reliance going on in my personal relationships with you? I'm a liar. You think I really go for this when I really don't. I just don't want you to be mad at me because if you are, I'll be alone. Oh my God, I'm going to die. 
this whole thing, and I speak for myself and I hope others will get this, this whole thing is about getting to here, getting from out there, and shouting God from the rooftops because my Alcoholics Anonymous is nothing less than God. I go to conferences, I think I shared this last week, six, eight speakers, I don't even hear the word God. I hear once of pearls of wisdom. I don't hear experiences with God. And that the whole thing, the whole life is about God. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these 12 steps, a spiritual awakening sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism, which means internally I've had a huge shift in perceptions. means I went from self-reliance to God-reliance in all areas, even though I'm missing the mark. And that's the things we need to talk about in Alcoholics Anonymous. I get a newbie sitting in the back who's been in double-digit treatment centers sitting in another AA meeting. I need to get that drunk to God now. And sometimes I can't sit and go page by page. He'll die. I need to do one, two, three, let's do inventory like I watch Mark do. Lack of power is my dilemma. They need power by midnight because they're going to die. They're going to drink. We're going to lose them. I don't have the luxury of hanging around and see you next week at a meeting. I'll go to their funeral probably. And if I continue to do stuff like that, who says I'm immune for my own funeral? We're going to talk about God and Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics and God is the name of this place. But how often do we talk about this power? Whatever conception it is. Can't do that, huh? We need to. Because when we get away, when we get away from that, we don't even have Alcoholics Anonymous anymore. We have a hangout. Big Book says, we alcoholics are undisciplined. We let God, not the sponsor, not the home group, we let God dis- discipline us in a simple way we've just outlined. And then I need to go talk about that. Being disciplined to a spiritual life. For me, this is part of practicing principles in all my affairs. It goes way beyond, you know, helping the old lady across the street. It goes way beyond, you know, getting a job and bringing money home and taking care of my wife and kids or whatever it might be. It goes way beyond being polite. Would you like a cup of coffee and hole in the door for someone? Because I can do that when everyone's looking. But how am I doing when I'm in a life of interior prayer? Seeking God. That's a practicing principle in all my fear. God, God, God. Looking for God in everything. Looking for the miracles in everything. To the point where it's not even miracles. It's just what God does. I'm not impressed anymore. It's what God does. Oh my God, it's a miracle. Have some more. You'll say, this is how God operates. It's happening all the time. We've got about 100 people in this room. Based on, except for the baby, based on our track record, I'll lay off from here to Vegas. We're not supposed to be sitting in a chair at 7.15 on a Thursday night listening to some lunatic rant for an hour. <laughs> Bar, crack house, heroin house, whatever it might be. Walking the streets, on a burglary, doing something. Detox, jail. There's a detox right down the block here. But we're not there. Have I gotten so far away that I came and see that miracle when I look in the mirror? And I don't have to go into the mirror and say, I'm a miracle today. (laughs) Every once in a while, just pump the brakes. I'm still sober. I ate. I ate a few times today. I bathed. My clothes are clean. I brush my hair. No one's looking for me. 
I'm passing. My legals are done. I say what I do and do what I say. And I can begin to walk head up and shoulder square, knowing God gets the credit for it all. And I want to tell, I want to talk about, I want to tell people how wonderful this God has been to me. Is that not practicing a principle in all my affairs? And then we sponsor, and we give that all away. And many will knock on a door, just a few are going to walk through. But we wait for the next knock, and we offer the book, we offer our way of life to them. Some will despise us, we will be revered and reviled in the same group. That's okay. Because I get attached to that, I got to start all over again. So I like to say what you see is what you get. I sponsor Michael, who's an absolute joy in both our lives. Drives me nuts once in a while, like they all do. But what a gift to sponsor someone who's so excited about Alcoholics Anonymous that he spends his spare time making a podium for his home group. I can't get people to go buy a cup of coffee with their home group. Sponsors people by the droves. Always on the firing line. I didn't meet people like this in the bar. And I'll close with this. There's a couple of, couple of guys in Jersey uh, that I sponsor and a few other dear friends. I've said this a million times. I didn't have this out there. That I literally, I'm not giving this lip service, literally trust them with my life. And their names are Freddie, Jimmy, Ian, and Maribeth. With my life, I met in the sacred rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I am so overpaid. I hope to be teachable and give this away with the same love and gratitude that you give to me every time I walk through a meeting in the door of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's all I got. Peace. All right. Can we thank uh, Peter one more time? And we've got Stephanie coming up to do our secretary's report. Secretary, in keeping with the seventh tradition which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. I have asked Lucy to read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. Lucy? My name's Lucy. I'm an alcoholic. Um, I'm from Sydney, Australia, and I just wanted to um, shout out to Matt W., who I know listens to these podcasts from Sydney like us. So <laughs> I'm just going to read the recovered statement. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime, but we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centres in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered.
1940-style big book sponsorship from forward to the second edition Alcoholics Anonymous of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. May please see a show of hands of recovered alcoholics. And is there anyone in need of a sponsor? Could you please raise your hand? Gentlemen, could you please stand up? Recovered men, let's meet him up front and get him back to God. Please join us Monday nights for our Big Book Study meeting where the Big Book comes alive. Fellowship is at 6.30. The Big Book Study starts at 7.15. We have large print Big Books and Big Book Dictionaries for sale in the back. We meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. See you next week. All right, I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study. Uh, we hold it here uh, at 7.15, and it's upstairs. Um, and those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, uh, you can please line up down the center aisle. Um, awesome. We're going to uh, close with the Lord's Prayer with a moment of uh, silence. Our Father. All right, see you guys next week.
Bum, 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 bum.